Imagine having all, guess all, of your learning challenges solved. With the Tables Learning Suite, an AI-powered LMS built for enterprise, you can tackle any challenge. You can easily create and manage content, deliver training, and measure the business impact of your programs. Dechevo is built for customers, partners, and employees alike, with dozens of integrations to embed directly in the flow of work. Check out Dechevo today at docebo.com. Welcome to C-Lab, where we take customer education myths and misconceptions and give them the traditional kiss of death. I'm Adam Evermescu, and I am so pleased to be joined today by my friend, Sharon Castillo. Hi, Sharon. Hi. Great How's to it be going? Here. Good. Good. Yeah. Good Good to be talking to you from across the Atlantic, but feels like there's no distance at all with our, our virtual setup. And we get to Slack all the time, so... And we get, we do we slack we slack a lot in in our communications, but not in our diligence. Sharon, for those of you who don't know, is the senior director of content strategy and enablement at Okta, but she also has a rich history in customer education and enablement that we'll probably get into somewhat over the course of this this topic. But Sharon, first, I have a very important question for you. Sure. Did you bring your teddy bear to work today? Yes, because I work at home. So there are teddy bears everywhere. Okay, amazing. So you are right on point for National Bring Your Teddy Bear to Work Day. There you go. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Well, good. We've come prepared. That question did not throw you off at all. So that, you know, gives me, as always, confidence that this will be a great freewheeling discussion. But today, the topic that we're actually going to be talking about is accessibility. And That's really cool because that's actually not a topic that I think we've covered in a full episode before. I think we've addressed it in like bits and pieces in in other episodes, but I know that this is an area where you both have a lot of experience as well as a lot of passion. So I'm really excited to have a full episode, a full amount of time really to dig into this topic. Yeah, I am too, because I think it's a topic that gets a lot of lip service where people dabble in it, but they don't really dig into it. And by the way, in the United States, it's National Accessibility at Work Month, so it's really timely. What happens with accessibility a lot is people talk about it relative to compliance or because of optics or because it feels good to do it, but Mm -hmm. it's really important because it's good business. A fourth of adults in the world have a disability or will have a disability in their lifetime. So that means you or the person you sit next to or your customer or your partner is likely to have a disability. And a lot of people don't know it because they don't reveal it. And a lot of customer education is about adopting your product. And so on these podcasts, a lot of the time we're talking about how do we get more people trained? How do we get more people adopting products? Well, if your, your training isn't accessible, how are you going to get those people to training? So we're yeah. leaving a lot of people out. For sure. And and a lot of the time we are optimizing for speed and getting our content out there. Uh, but if we're doing that in a way that doesn't allow the people who need to be not just using the training itself, but, but ultimately using our product to be able to use that in a way that actually allows them to adopt. And uh, to your point, we're kind of throwing up we're throwing up hurdles and barriers that we ourselves 
aren't thinking about because maybe like not all of us relate on a day-to-day basis to like like what are the actual challenges in trying to use a product or trying to consume training with a disability but like yeah it's very real for the customer who's actually using them so i i'm really excited to to like let's get into the meat of what that means because i think for a lot of people myself included like i don't think i can consider or conceptualize all of the ways that we can design for accessibility or what some of those you know even like invisible or like un unstated undisclosed disabilities might look like so i'd love to build some empathy and yep. i would also love to to really get practical about okay how do we design for accessibility so maybe we can start kind of with that like when when you think about designing for accessibility what are some of the things that that you're you're thinking about like what are some of the affordances that that we can focus on that that you know build accessibility into our design mhm so the first thing i think about and some of this is just good design principles so some of the things i think about is how different people learn and getting away from just getting cute so for example animation when you have animation and the words are on the screen and then the words go away and the animation is flashing all over the place. For some different types of disability, either neurodiversity or just different types of learning disabilities, the words going away too quickly is very difficult for somebody to associate that word with the visual of the item that you're describing, for example. So for just different types of learners, even without a disability, that is a very difficult thing to process, even though it looks super cool as you're building it. Other types of disability, and most people don't think about this as being a disability, but I had someone on my team who was colorblind at one point, and we had a graph. And the two lines of the graph to that person looked exactly the same. Didn't know it was colorblind, put the graph on the screen. He's like, which one is which? So you, you just run into really basic things like that. But I actually have four disabled children who all have different disabilities. That's why I'm so passionate about it. And three of them are adults. And during the pandemic, when people were on Zoom a lot, I heard in the household, one of them kept saying on Zoom calls, can you please turn on the captions? Can you please turn on the captions? Can you please turn on the captions? Mm. I heard it over and over again. She could not participate in meetings and people just didn't even seem to notice that she was not participating in the meetings didn't get a transcript afterwards, didn't get a anything sent to her before, didn't get the PowerPoint. So basically, she was just not participating in her workplace. So just having an awareness that different people need different types of things, just making yourself aware that different people is, is the starting point, I think. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And like, in a way, what you're making me think of as well is that often we're having conversations about, say, like which modality for something is best. Like, is it better to use video or text? Is it better to use, I, I, I can't come up with another example off the top of my head, but like actually, you know, thinking about what you're saying right now, first of all, might even be a consideration of when we use certain types of modalities, how do we make sure that there are appropriate alternatives for people based on their their needs. So if you have a video, it might not be like, do you use video or text? It might be video and text or video with captions, video with transcripts available. 
Yep. Uh, and that kind of like opens up the power of being able to deliver that content in a way that ultimately, like I loved your point from earlier, don't just make them more accessible for people with with disabilities, but make it more uh, accessible for people who have different preferences and how they consume content. Absolutely. And it helps everybody because if you think about it, just the example of captions, people who whatever language you're delivering the content in is not their native language, captions helps them as well. So for example, if you have a video in English, a lot of people in tech, for example, English is not their first language. Having captions available is very helpful to support whatever the material is. And in fact, what we're finding is for software engineers, a lot of them say, I don't really want the video. I really want to just scroll down to get to the piece I want. And then maybe I'll watch the video for that little piece and then I'll keep going on. So learner preference is a big deal. Yeah, for sure. And and like often we we think about that before we 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 think about it from like an accessibility perspective, but it's true, right? And it helps us unpack some of our assumptions around, oh, like the the way that I might think is best or the way that on some, let's say we survey all of our customers and we get like uh, percentage preferences on how as a whole they'd like to consume content. And maybe that one comes back like high video. That doesn't necessarily represent when you start to segment it out either by roles, like for example, you're like what you, what you say right now about like developers and highly technical roles, like that that comports with my experience as well. Like often it's just like, just give me the docs. Don't make me like watch yep. a bunch of videos. Don't make me go through the course. Like, come on, let's go. And that's a pretty common preference. But also like looking at, at that feedback only in the aggregate is going to kind of uh, erase or dilute the individual needs of people who may not be able to access content in other ways or, or may not be able to absorb it. Yep. And also the flexibility, like I want to be able to go back later, or I want to, you know, skip around forward or, or all those other things. So, so that's, that's a big, big piece of it. And then another thing is when you don't know what people don't identify their disabilities a lot of the time. So when you don't know what they are, there are guidelines out there. So there's frameworks that can help you figure out what the best practices are. A lot of them are around digital, so it's WCAG, and they just came out this month with a new set. It's 2.2 is the newest one. Those guidelines are really around digital accessibility. So when we're talking about right now is, you know, like, what's a website? But we also want to think about what do you do in a live class, you know, to be as accessible to people, you know, on a virtual screen or a lot of it now, I, we were just at a conference and we just had our user conference and we had proctoring of exams. So we get this a lot. What do you do about accommodations for people who want to take exams? And the most common one is extended time. But even people who need extended time, the stress of any time limit freaks them out. And I was speaking to a woman at our conference and she, she was so distraught about on the job, nobody times me and I do my job very well. Why do I have to have the pressure of a time limit on an exam to prove that I know how to do this material? Yeah. So you, you might argue then though, like I'm, I'm curious how you think about this, that let's take that as an example. On one hand, that's, that's an accommodation that can be offered, especially for people who don't do well in time scenarios. But on the other hand, you might say, okay, well, but 
if we've made the decision to make this a timed exam and we're doing it largely for security reasons and we're doing it to you know ensure some level of like fairness among the exam candidates like how do you how do you balance like those those two concepts kind of in in the spirit of of accessibility yeah it, it's difficult so one of the things we i had said to her is that i think that's one of the reasons we now have badging systems and other things is you know are there other alternatives that somebody might go down a different route i think the biggest thing is just to not make people jump through a million hoops to get the accommodations you have. And, and, and ultimately what we said to this person is they were doing it in person. So we said, look, we're going to give you as much time as we can give you and don't think about it. Like just you do what you can do. Mm-hmm. And if it, it, you know, if it turns out to be a problem, then, then we'll work it out. But like, and ultimately this person was able to, to complete the exam anyhow. But, yeah. you know, just just do what you need to do. And we had a practical exam anyways. It was a multiple choice. So it, it's just do the task. So just do the task you normally do. And they were given uh, an extended time. But we did what we could do within the parameters we could do it. And ultimately, it was it was okay. But we tried to make them feel all right about what we were, we were able to do within the, those things. But it's hard because most people who are have a disability, if you talk to them, the really hardest piece is that they say that the systems to ask for accommodations make them feel worse. Like we put so much work onto that person to -hmm. get them in the first place. So I think if you approach it with empathy and you try to meet them where they're at and you've really put the effort in, I think usually people just appreciate how much we're trying to meet them where they're at is is a, a lot of it. So it's like you you make it you you kind of normalize being able to ask for accommodations or or try to make that like frictionless to know that it's like hey it's available you can ask you don't need to think too hard about exactly what you're asking for like we will help you find it like tell us what's up and we'll yeah we'll help like you. put it up front like now companies are doing this better and better like they put it in the footer on their website like these are the accommodations we have you know, this is how accessible our site is. These, these are the things we don't mm. currently have, but put it right out there. So people aren't wasting time, you know, where for a conference, they say, what accommodations do you need? And they list the things that, you know, they know are known. And then here are the things, you know, like if you need other things, you know, fill in the blank. And Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, right? Like if, if you're actively asking for that upfront, then you're signaling to people that like already this is on your mind and you're making it really easy for them to identify like, oh, hey, like, I want this, I want that, like that, yeah. that would make my life easier. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really and, good point. And there are also tools now too. So the other thing is like when you're building training, there are tools out there. So there are tools that'll look at your site and like for web pages and things like that, that'll come back with feedback and say, even about your writing, like writing shorter, writing other things about color, about other things that'll come back with like a report, but it's not black and white. It's not like... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sort of on a spectrum of of things of what you can do, and it doesn't catch everything. So it'll make suggestions. So those are, that's other things you can sort of try. This episode is brought to you by Intellum. You know Intellum. We've had them on the show before. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you know the customer education leads to retention and revenue. So the Intellum platform gives you everything you need to educate your customers, partners, and employees on the products and services you sell. They've got a great platform. They've got Evolve as an authoring tool. And with Intellum, 
Put it all together, you can deliver highly personalized and engaging learning experiences, give your customers a single destination for all their learning needs, and create and manage a wide range of content. So check them out today at try.intellum.com slash C-E-Labs. That's C-E-L-A-B-S. Yeah, there's some good things to dig into here. First of all, I mean, maybe to your point about the fact that there are tools that you can use to evaluate accessibility, even though that's on on a spectrum. Like, do you have suggestions or recommendations on some of the tools that people could look into already if they want to start making that evaluation? Yeah. So on a website, there, there are different things out there. there. There's something called like Silk Tie. There's one called Jaws. There's a great book out there. I have it over here. It's by a woman named Susie Miller. And it's specifically designing accessible learning content. So it's more aimed at learning content. So I, I read that. I thought it was great. I just follow different people's uh, blogs and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I also just follow a lot of people who are uh, disabled to learn about different types of disabilities and what there are. I'm very lucky because Okta has a very strong, like we have a very strong confluence pages and disability accessibility groups in the company that post all kinds of information in turn, you know, in, in the company yeah. and share it really well. So that's been great. But I've also been very lucky that because of my children, they educate me constantly on like, for example, closed captioning. I didn't know that people who use closed captioning because they use their own tools, they read at different rates. And so my daughter was like, you know, you don't override any of the settings because each person will do captioning in their own way. So even if you set aside a certain amount of space at the bottom of the screen, she reads at three to four times the rate of other people. So she takes up more of the screen for text. Mm. And I didn't know that because I turn on the captions on our TV. She doesn't actually read the captions on our TV. And I didn't know that she has her phone out and she uses her own captioning tool. And I said, why do you do that? And she said, oh, it's my captioning is more accurate than what the TV gives me because it uses AI. Interesting. So, so with AI now, there's high accuracy captioning. And with technical material, the words are, you know, a lot of times some of the tools don't give you as accurate a translation as the ones that are using AI now. Yeah. So also potentially, like, so A, what I'm taking away is like re- respect and acknowledge users' preferences and know that like they might have their systems as well. So don't try to like, engineer the experience to remove that flexibility or adaptability so people can like make their own accommodations where necessary. But second, I'm also hearing a call towards, you know, we're embracing new AI tools to increase our efficiencies and uh, generate content and inspire us in different ways. But as well, like one thing that we should really be looking into as we explore AI tools is like how we can also leverage those same benefits to improve, say, the quality of our own transcripts, our own translations and localizations, et cetera, Absolutely. so that we can also like, you know, for those who, who you know, do use the things that we as the, the providers provide, <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to repeat a term I just used, that, that like that at least is like higher quality as well. So like, again, we're giving people more options. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we should be using just like when we started using psychometricians and experts when we created certifications and things like that. You should be using people who have disabilities to test out 
your content of different kinds. And that's challenging because one, you know, where do you find people who are going to test it? In your own company, people, again, don't disclose necessarily. And when you bring in experts, there are experts who specialize in accessibility and different kinds of consultants. Typically, companies don't pay them, which is a really Mm. horrible thing. So you take a person who has traditionally been discriminated against in the world, and then people expect them to do it for free or are underpaid. So you should budget for it in your... In, in your budget, the same way you would budget for a psychometrician or budget for any other kind of consultant that comes in. Yeah, which can make it a tough pill to swallow because, like, if you're, say, an executive looking at the, you know, looking at the budget projections around this and it's like, oh, well, like, I don't even know what a psychometrician is to begin right. with. Like, you know, accessibility, I kind of get, but, like, this seems like we're jumping through a bunch of hoops for, uh, you know, a questionable percentage of our customer base. Like, I'm curious, are there, are there like... Aside from having already executive stakeholders who who understand this and care about this, or perhaps like already having infrastructure in your company to really like already account for this, are there particular arguments that you found work well to really like defend that budget and that prioritization? Well, generally the one that works is government contracts. Mm-hmm. They're forced to. But the bigger one is that disability spending power annually is $13 trillion worldwide. So people who are disabled, that, that's their pocketbook. So it is actually larger, you know, it's the largest, if you talk about like in terms of, you know, they talk about DEI and, and groups and, and whatever, if you're talking about, you know, a quarter of the people out there, now you split that up across different disabilities and things that, you know, slice smaller, but that's a lot of people. And if you want people to adopt your product and purchase your product, that's a lot of purchasing power. So money talks. Yeah. So there's there's a few, I think there's like a few really good points in here already. One is like what you just said and really being able to like carve out enough of the prioritization to hear directly from your audience that will be accessing and using your learning in different ways. Another point that you brought up earlier that I think ties to this is the idea that like, a lot of the things that you might do for accessibility are things that you might do anyway to to just address like like accessibility is about inclusion inclusion is about broadening your addressable audience broadening your addressable audience is about getting more uptake on your learning and getting more uptake on your learning is like incontrovertible so right. there's probably things you want to do anyway to make sure that more people and more types of people can access your learning so i think like that's like like almost like trying to like bundle those strategies is probably helpful but like let's let's get a little bit into some of the actual design choices that you would make mm-hmm. and I want to talk about it like number 1 from like how to design for engagement and, and inclusivity like you talked yep. about but I also kind of want to talk about like the systems that are available and like what the tooling looks like cuz I know like not all learning tools are created equal not all learning services mm-hmm. that we might buy as customer education uh, leaders are equal in terms of how they handle inclusivity so I'd yep. love to get into those with you, but maybe we can start with the first one. Like, let's talk a little bit more about like, what are some other things that we can be doing, you know, even ourselves in talking to our content developers, our designers, our instructional designers, like how can we be already encouraging them to design more inclusively? What are some things to do or avoid? 
Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with your choice of just even just your design standards. Like when you're creating your style guide, right? Thinking about um, multiple dimensions of your content, right? Your your text, your shortness of your text, your text relative to your graphics, visibility, clarity, color choice, you know, all of those things. When things appear on the screen, like I was talking about, you know, the neurodiversity and when things appear and disappear, but also color choice also affects people, for example, who have seizure disorders. So you don't mm. want things flashing on the screen or you know, and all of that, but also certain kinds of color combinations also do that. And again, you can, there are lists out there that'll tell you which combinations work well yeah. or not well. So just put them in your, in your templates. So if you just set up your templates well to start with, that doesn't cost you anything. So yeah. you don't have to make an argument to a CEO or something about this kind of thing. You just set up your temp- templates well. And and furthermore, like on that point, your your either your brand design or your product design team is also probably already thinking about inclusivity and accessibility in terms of design, like depending on, I guess, depending on how mature your company right. is. But likely if they've already set up certain guidelines, like you can you can piggyback on those. Exactly. Or at the very least, like talking to your brand or product design team or your UX research team who also might be talking to people who have certain disabilities, like kind of using them as thought partners to figure out, okay, how to like how much of this can we design from day one in terms of our templates and our style guides to make sure that like we are, we aren't making unforced errors. Exactly. And I find that the UX teams in in most companies are are pretty good at this and have been thinking about this a lot and and they're a great resource. So you start there and then even inside the content itself, like if the tool, say, say you're using, for example, Articulate Rise, mm-hmm. you can do things like embed a video with text next to it. You can make choices of the objects you use. You can make choices of, so what we've been doing is playing around with using Descript, which has a video with, you know, the text next to it. You can do things where you, just the way you build your animation, we've just been changing the timing of it so that you don't make things appear and disappear in weird ways where you just leave the thing on the screen so people can compare left and right. Descript is a cool tool as well, right? Because that's, that allows you to essentially like transcript as you're, you're scrubbing the video and have the edits that you're making to the transcript correspond to the edits to the video, right? Yeah. And it has pretty high accuracy in terms of what I was talking about in terms of the AI. Yeah. We've used it for some of our podcast transcripts as well. Descript, if you want to sponsor this show, please get in touch. But like, even if, even if they don't, it is, it's a super cool tool. Yeah. And I'm, I'm actually looking at the transcript right now as we're talking of other things and I don't know what we're using now, but that's also. Uh, yeah. Dave, Dave has also been like exploring different ways that we can use generative AI to transcript the, sh- the show and do more accurate transcripts in, in general. Yeah. To make sure that we're putting as many transcripts with the, you know, the episode summaries as possible, but like already you've got me thinking about, Ooh, we, we need to do like a WCAG or as I call it, WCAG yeah. analysis of our, our sites too. Yeah. Also like having downloadable materials for people. Like if, if the video has gone and then like, is there, is there a companion piece that's downloadable? I know this having the more pieces you have though, the more you have to also maintain. So there's 
I also get into a lot of times, how do you future, it's a whole different podcast, but how do you future proof your content? <laughs> how do you do it in a way that's easy to maintain, but also like, how can you have different pieces that, and this is also true for live training and you get into the money piece of it, but like for people who have neurodiverse things, having content ahead of time, or at least an outline ahead of time is very, very helpful. Having follow-on materials, having enough information in the material that people can follow along as opposed to sort of guessing what the instructor is going to say when it's a live session is much yeah. more helpful. Well, and especially though, if that's something where it's a recurring training that you do, not just a one-off, there's, again, this is kind of in the spirit of what helps someone with a specific accommodation it is also going to help everyone because, Correct. okay, for instance, providing pre and post materials, that's also like, like now we're in like Gagne's nine events, right? This is something right. that's going to help all of our learners and reinforce retention. And what was the other example you just gave? Oh, like, like having like a, a guide for the, the session itself or something to be able to follow on. Well, that's also helping most likely to manage cognitive load and helping with signposting, right? Yep. And that's another piece, like the cognitive load thing. I find that so much training is just an information dump. <laughs> and so that's just not great training anyhow, but it just, a lot of it is, if you don't design training well, it exacerbates the disability piece. So a lot of it is designing really great training you know, goes hand in hand with helping this. If you think about good education in general, like educating your, your children in school, right? Great education is, is a jewel. It is so hard to do well. And when it's not done well, that's why a lot of, of children with disabilities have such a hard time in, in schools because they can't mm. do differentiated education well. And yeah. That's why for adults who are in the corporate workplace, and now that we have more modes of training out there, now that we've moved to digital, and, and the other thing about digital learning, which again, all adults would benefit from is when you get stuck with on-demand training, what kind of support is there really out there? Like, do you have, you know, you're doing a lab and it's hands-on and it's, you're by yourself, is there, what, what kind of help is there when you're stuck on step number 32? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people abandon your training because there's nobody to help you. And if you have a disability and you're still, you know, and you're really stuck, now what do you do, right? So just even having more ways that are, you, you know, like community built right into your training or having things where it's not so much work to go get help on something, yeah. it helps everybody. And if you have a community already, again, that's we're not talking about additional cost for someone to be able to reach out to someone else in the community and and get that answered. Similarly, like like I'm thinking about the the example that you gave here, like people going through self paced training and getting stuck and dropping off. Like it's another example, I think, yet again, of what's good for accessibility is good for all. Because if there is a particularly tricky step of your training and you're monitoring drop off. Well, like accessibility can become one hypothesis for why people might be dropping off at a certain point, but like none of this works if you're not looking at drop off anyway and trying to form hypotheses about why people are, are dropping out of your training. And, and again, it could be one of those things where it's like, maybe you're not 
explaining that step very well. Maybe you are like, maybe there is some sort of like functionality that's very confusing or it's not set up very intuitively. And so like the improvements you make there are also accessibility improvements, but like the nuance that, that you just brought to light is that also like what we don't think to do is when we're doing something like drop-off analysis on our, our e-learning actually thinking to say kind of primarily as a hypothesis, like, oh, actually the reason that we're seeing drop-off here might actually be because we're not designing for accessibility. Absolutely. And, and probably also in certification, like certification yep. questions when people aren't doing well on a particular aspect of our certifications. Yeah, yeah. In addition to what you said earlier about making sure that in general that the certification experience and the proctoring experience is is designed with, you know, the right accommodations in mind and we're not making people jump through too many hoops. Yep. C-Lab is proudly sponsored by Thought Industries. They've got a super robust tech platform to run your customer ed program, and they've built a think tank and community. Just look, they've released the Customer Education Playbook, a definitive book on customer ed for practitioners. They've released frameworks like maturity models, assessments, and toolkits, and they've got great community events like the Cognition Conference, Roundtables, and Discussion Forums. But of course, there's also the Tech Forward platform. Thought Industries has developed a headless solution to allow for heavy customization and has a multi-tenant architecture built to scale custom learning portals to your client base to deliver personalized learning for different roles and groups. Check out Thought Industries as you grow and evolve your program, especially if you're doing things like adding paid subscriptions, using free or freemium learning in your marketing strategy, integrating your learning data into your org's overall data strategy, or learning data to prove ROI. Check them out at thoughtindustries.com and tell them C-Lab sent you. You talked about like Articulate a, a moment ago, and I don't want to pick on Articulate or Articulate Rise specifically, partially because I'm just not knowledgeable enough about exactly what each tool's WCAG adherence is. But I do see a lot of like subtweets on instructional design LinkedIn about the accessibility of various tools and whether the vendors are really addressing them or not. I'm curious, like if if I am building my program for the first time and I'm going to select my my rapid dev instructional design tool, like what are some of the things I should be looking for or avoiding to make sure that like the tool itself that I'm using to develop on is accessible? Yeah, they're not great. I mean, I have to say none of them are are wonderful that way in the same way that companies don't think about designing their software accessible first either. I don't think vendors think accessible first. I don't think they think localization first. I don't, you know, all these things are sort of a bolt on afterthought. Oh yeah, we got to do this. So they sort of bolted on at the end. Um, as a very as a company that's like very localization heavy now with Personio, we are running into that all the time. Yeah, yeah. So I would say that the more and you know LMSs, all of them. So I think it's just the more flexible they are for you to do what you want them to do. Again, from an educational point of view, like if if they're too rigid, so that you can't pull it apart and do other things, that's when you run into problems. So I think in the case of Articulate Rise, I don't know if anyone from Articulate is listening to me, but you know, in the past, every time I looked at an Articulate Rise course, I'm like, oh, they look all, oh, that's an Articulate Rise course because they all look exactly the same. And I had a, yeah. you know, more of an issue from it that way. And I've, I've seen recently that there are, were more ways to pull it apart and do th- other things. And that enabled us to build more accessibly only because we could sort of pull it apart and plug in things the way we wanted to 
a little bit more than what we had been doing in the past, like embedding mm. in descriptor or embedding other things in. So it wasn't so much about rise, but more about what we could embed in there. But with that said, some of the LMSs don't even support the thing that we want to put in in the yeah. first place. So there, you know, you run in, you know, you run, you fix the first wall and then you run into the second wall because they don't all support, you know, the kinds of video you want to put in. They don't all support a lot of the other different things that you want to be able to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, like, similarly, I don't want to pick on Articulate specifically. You're right. Like a lot of the LMSs have their own barriers. LMSs, if you're listening, hire some paid SMEs with uh, disabilities to give you feedback on your accessibility so you can design for it. Yeah, one of them lives in my house. <laughs> <laughs> there, you, have, you, you have your first uh, paid volunteer. I guess you're not a volunteer if you're paid, but like, you know what I mean? I have a paid uh, consultant. A paid consultant. That's, yeah. that's, yeah, that's a good, that's a good way of putting it. So yeah, I mean, really, really good point. But like, even thinking about that trade-off, for instance, like let's, let's stick with the Articulate Rise example for a moment. Like, there's kind of like a, a, a trade-off, right? Because, okay, Articulate Rise versus Articulate Storyline, which mm -hmm. I know not many customer education teams are like super heavy on Storyline because it's like such mm -hmm. a blank canvas. But like, if you kind of think about the difference between those products with something like Articulate Storyline, where it's like very freeform, mm -hmm. you have the ability to put pretty much whatever you want inside that. If I were smart, I would know the exact dimensions of that box, but inside that yeah. box... It's a little bit more up to you, right? Like how many like accessible elements you can put in there, probably uh, plus or minus actually being able to like copy and paste the text out of there because I think like that entire product doesn't do that. Right. Whereas with Rise, like they've got more parameters that that like might restrain you in some ways. So you can't customize it to your heart's content the way you could whatever is within that screen in Storyline. But that also like might help keep you on the rails in a positive way as well in that like it might not let you diverge and make like completely inaccessible design choices the way you might if you're just like sitting there staring at storyline for the first time and you're like oh i'm going to like fill this full of clip art and flashing text yeah so we actually embed storyline inside of rise sometimes too the interesting mm. thing with storyline though is there's a player right and then you also have to make choices about the player so like with closed captions for example you have to then make choices about you know which parts of the player are going to show and yeah. and all this other stuff so the, we we got into a whole thing about that actually there's a whole which parts of the player show and and you know what what it's that going to look like and, and you know and there's a whole piece to that too so you, you know you can go down a whole path of of and i was like it, my thought was oh well we should just again like you said follow whatever or there's other things that the ux the, of the company is using let's try and follow whatever guidelines might already be out there that we could could leverage or yeah. is there another player that yeah. it's going to embed into that we can leverage yeah and like maybe another point here as well is like if you haven't yet implemented these tools, when you do your evaluation and you create your RFP or however it is you're going to like you, you might not do an RFP for like your rapid dev e-learning tool, but you, you might be doing an RFP for your LMS. That by the way, if like if you haven't done an RFP before, that's that's like request for proposal and typically where you're making all you're putting all of your requirements for the system that you want to use. So like question being like 
are you actually evaluating for accessibility uh, across those different dimensions when you're building those requirements? And like to your point, Sharon, knowing that accessibility is on a, a spectrum, right? There, it's not that like something is or isn't accessible, but like things are varying degrees of accessible. Like, I guess like thinking about evaluating a tool, like what level of accessibility does it have or what dimensions of accessibility does it support? Like yep. might be a way to think about this from day one. So you can do levels. The one way you can do it is so the, the YCAG is you can YCAG uh, 2.2 or whatever. There's also levels within it. So there's like a, 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 a. And so double mm. a is considered like a good experience. A is considered sort of an eh experience. AAA is considered like an amazing experience, which is very hard to do. So, you know, a lot of uh, places sort of strive for AA. Mm-hmm. So that's one way you can can look at it. But there are a lot of categories within that. So if you look at the, the guidelines, familiarize yourself with the guidelines and say, gee, these are things we think we can do. Like they're sort of like we talk about the customer education maturity model, kind of look at the maturity model of it and say, you know, these are the things we think we can do this year. These are the things we strive to do next year. And like and then document it and then document it in in your accessibility statement that you're going to make to people out there and say, these are the things we can do. And then just keep working on like successive, you know, like iterate. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to be perfect from day one, but you you pick a starting point and then you 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 set out to improve from there. But like Sharon, you just brought up a, a really interesting concept, an accessibility statement. Like how do you how do you do a good accessibility statement? What does that look like? So I our company already had one in in the in the, the footer of the company. If you, you look at different companies, they, they have them in their website. But mm-hmm. I did see there is an example of one in Susie Miller's book of of what one can can look like. And it, it basically says we strive for accessibility. These are the things that, you know, we know we have. And, and it'll actually say these are the like we support screen readers or we don't support screen readers. We do support some of the things that companies don't do well. And from a screen reader perspective, if you're blind, a screen reader is a tool that goes through and actually says the words that are there. If you have a graphic, you're supposed to put in what's called alt text. So it'll tell you Mm -hmm. what the graphic is. A lot of people forget to do that. If you have at least text above it describing what that graphic is going to be, this is a screenshot of whatever. The problem with education is we put a lot of what I, I would call eye candy in there that doesn't, it actually points out how bad some of these graphics are. It's a graphic of two puzzle pieces that has absolutely nothing to do with the training. This is, yeah, talking. this is like what you would call a seductive detail or, yeah, yeah. seductive details, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I call them gratuitous graphics. So <laughs> those those graphics, you know, it, it starts to point out how problematic they are in, in the training. But anyways... You know, that, those things, if, if you don't have screen reader support or you don't have full alt text in there, it's not going to, it's not going to do anything, even if, if everything else supports a screen reader. So you, you, you need to be clear on what it is your training does or does not do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, we've covered a lot of ground in the talk today, and I love that, you know, you've kind of brought us to a place here of iterating towards a better experience every every time. So maybe in the spirit of that, if 
we have listeners out there who now understand, okay, this is important. I got to get serious about this. I want to get started, but I, this all seems overwhelming. I don't know where to start. Like what, what, what are some good starting points for someone who wants to make this investment and, and iterate over time? I think the first thing, I, I mean, I would just start by thinking about where you are today. Like, just start with how accessible do you think? Look at your material. Look at where you are today because you can't do anything if you don't know where you are. And then think of a, like a reasonable goal and go from there. You know, think about what area do you want to tackle that you think you can have the most impact with. It. So if, if your material is mostly on demand, do you think by for example, adding captions would make the most impact? Or do you think by just having a template that's standardized on things that your UX team is already doing will have the most, like what's the most bang for the buck that you can, you know, is there low hanging fruit that you can and go for? And then start to learn what's in the, the guidelines and just slowly chip away at it more quickly if you have, have, have the backing. Fantastic. Sharon, is there anything that we haven't talked about yet with accessibility that you would want our audience to know today? Uh, I think we've, we've pretty well covered it. Okay, so now you have your inspiration. You can go out and do at least one thing as you're designing for your coming year that will make your program more accessible. And if you have a more mature program with a broader audience, you can do more than one thing. <laughs> but pick your starting point. Pick the, the areas that align most with your accessibility statement and your intention for your audience. Keep in mind that what you do for accessibility is also what you're doing in general to increase learning engagement and uptake of your training. And it's sort of like what we say with the show. It's like go out, experiment and, and educate, right? Like you will, you will learn by talking to your customers what works and what doesn't work. Absolutely. Well, cool. Sharon, it's been great having you on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for joining. Thank you. And listeners, if you want to learn more, we have a hopefully WCAG compliant website at customer.education. And if it's not, we'll be making those improvements. Uh, You can find show notes, transcripts, other materials. And if you found value in the podcast, please share with your friends. Please, uh, you know, a couple of episodes ago, we made the ask to say, like, if there was a particular thing you learned in an episode that really resonated with you, post about it on LinkedIn. And that actually worked really well. People started sharing their takeaways and then other people were engaging with them. So in addition to a five-star review, that's a great way to, to keep the conversations going as well. So please do that. It's a great way to find the others. I'm on LinkedIn. Don't really use uh, x.com very much. Sharon, where, where can you be found? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. Find us on LinkedIn. Find us in the customer education communities. Thanks to Alan Coda for providing our theme music and to our audience. Thanks for joining us. Go out and educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks, Sharon. And thanks for listening. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam.